Welcome to episode 8, Composer John Barry. On this episode, we discuss and listen to movie soundtracks composed by Johnny's favorite composer, John Barry. Eddie brings up the vast difference between the original Bond theme versus John Barry's version. Eddie surprises Johnny with a John Barry movie soundtrack that he didn't see coming. We invite you to grab some popcorn and your favorite beverage, take a seat, and put up your feet because we're talking movies. Welcome back. I'm Johnny Popcorn. And I'm Eddie Klieg, and we're talking movies. Eddie, I, I know you uh, normally announce where our listeners can find our podcast at the end of the program. Today, perhaps you might want to start with it, since I believe we have some significant news. That is correct, Johnny. Normally, I list every single one that we're on. Then, I had this great idea. Maybe it'd be easier just to say the ones that we're not on. So last week, it was Pandora and iHeartRadio. Well, big announcement. One of the number one podcasting outlets in the country. We are now officially on iHeartRadio. Go to iHeartRadio, search We're Talking Movies, and you'll be all hooked up. We're in the big time now. We're in the big time now. Well, that's certainly great news. Now that we have our listeners up to date, where are we going today, Eddie? Well, Johnny, you have brought this up several times, this person. He's a favorite of yours, a big favorite. Let me give you a hint. I thought we did bond. Oh, no, 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 Johnny. We're not doing the movie. We're doing the soundtrack. Now I get it. So your favorite film composer, we're talking John Barry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I knew you knew this day was coming. I had a premonition a couple episodes. I think that's true. Well, let me say a couple of things here before we get started. Yes, Eddie's correct. John is one of my favorites. It's now, unfortunately, the late John Barry. Give you a little background. For those of you who aren't as familiar with him as some of us. He was born John Barry Prendergast. He was born in York, England, and he was born in November of 1933. He was the son of an English mother and an Irish father. Now, his mother was a classical pianist, so you kind of get an idea where his musical talent might come from. His father, Jack, had originally was a projectionist during the silent film era. Later on, he owned a chain of movie theaters throughout Northern England. So John spent his much of his youth working for his father in the cinema. And he said later that this connection really inspired him both in his musical tastes and his interest in the cinema. So those two elements came together and obviously formed the basis for a staggeringly successful career. He served in the British Army. Where did he get his musical outlet? Well, he served in the British Army, and he served his nation by playing the trumpet. Afterwards, he, he got involved with music and got interested in the jazz side of things. So there's a lot of brass. That's where you'll find brass and saxophone and some other elements that you might expect from a jazz composer in his, in his music. And he developed a, a skill working as an arranger of, of music, and he eventually got commissions for that music. And it's actually one of those arranging situations that led to a pretty significant change in his career course, didn't it, Eddie? I believe you're talking about James Bond. Absolutely, because John Barry is associated, obviously, with Bond. He scored 11 Bond films, but how did he get that opportunity to get involved with Bond? You did a little research on this, because he didn't write the original theme that you just gave us a taste of there. That's correct. Uh, 
The composer Monty Norman was originally tapped to make theme for James Bond. And I'm going to play that for you right now. And I'm going to tell you, if this was the theme for the James Bond movie, we would never have heard it again. That's crazy. Now, did that really sound like an international spy theme? Or does this? Is the right theme. I, I really think that if they would have kept going with the other one, there would have only been one. <laughs> well, I think you're right. I think it shows you. If one thing, now, the Norman, I think if uh, you wanted to stay with kind of a jazzy element, I mean, that might work. I'm not a jazz. One of the things I want to say right at the moment here, neither Eddie nor I are, Eddie's had some musical background. He played an instrument before. I haven't done that. I'm not a musician. I don't compose. I'm not a music critic. Well, the films that we're talking about today is based on my love of the work of John Barry, and I've selected some films that I think illustrate some of the different style points that uh, should be mentioned about Mr. Barry. And I think if you listen to them, if you're not familiar with them, you'll see that he's pretty impressive. But uh, that arrangement... Uh, also illustrates what a difference the ability to arrange the same piece of music differently makes. So it's all about the arrangement, particularly there. You went from that tinny, what I would call that tinny, jazzy little riff on the piano to that bang, a slam bang right in your face kind of brute force that you would expect that illustrates a, an edgy or perspective i would say yeah definitely the so, trumpet you know yep, yep. which uh, the instrument that i used to play in another life is the trumpet well see you'd fit right in with mr barry he started playing the trumpet and he loves to use the brass and you'll see later in the film we talk about well, there's jet saxophones that he comes comes in with we're going to talk since we've dealt with the bond movies we're going to quickly go through what i consider the better main themes and this is strictly my opinion so feel free to comment send us your comments and criticisms we welcome them so we're going to run through them you've already heard the theme and we're going to start with the what i consider probably the most famous the one that got me started interested in the bond films and that's goldfinger 1964 
man with a Midas touch A spider's touch That's a good one. I like that one. Goldfinger. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that just... It, the spider's touch, you know, all that. Uh, you get the idea. It's uh, and it's it's a it's a great film. I mean, it still holds up. A long time ago. You only live twice. This is an international type film with Bond, I believe, traveling over, as I recall, from Japan. And this was originally recorded by Nancy Sinatra, and for some reason, we we can't play that original version. But it's it's still a pretty pretty hefty song. Diamonds Are Forever, that's Shirley Bassey, who also did Goldfinger. Diamonds are forever, they are all I need to please me, they can stimulate and tease me, they won't leave in the night, I've no fear that they might. All time high, and this is from uh, this is the only Bond main theme that does not carry the name of the film. All time high. It's a fairly you know, semi-romantic from the film Octopussy. All I wanted was a sweet distraction for an hour or two. Had no And the last one that I chose is Living Daylights. And the reason is there's a great style. Most of these are fairly slower, somewhat romantic, what you would call mood setting. Whereas Living Daylights actually is the film that introduced Timothy Dalton after Roger Moore's sequence of films. And it, it's got, again, that kind of punch-in-the-face style that you had originally from the uh, Bond theme. So there's a definite change in some of the main themes that we previously mentioned, The Living Daylights. Yeah, that's a lot edgier than the other ones, definitely. Yeah, yeah. As I said, I'm not a movie critic, but you know, I, I tend to use the term edgy because it, it's the subtle, more soothing or romantic themes, and then you got the more jarring or something a little more 
rougher, grittier that indicates a little more action-oriented, and that's The Living Daylight. All right, now we're going to go into some film themes and scores, and Mr. Barry had quite a career where he was highly rewarded and recognized for. This is one of his early ones. I got introduced to Mr. Barry actually from watching a TV series on Eleanor and Franklin, which follows Eleanor Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt from the time of their courting marriage, uh, the early political life through the White House up until his death. And the theme that there was so, again, romantic that I was enthralled by. So I started watching Mr. Barry and I went back because this film that I'm going to talk about first is early in his career, 1964. It's for the film Zulu. Now, this is an action film and obviously a British inspired film. It's a dramatic portrayal of a standoff between the outnumbered British forces and the army of Zulu tribesmen in colonial Africa in 1876. It's almost like a British Alamo type of film, and it's the first screen role, significant mostly among a stellar English cast, the first film role for Michael Caine, who we love. I love him in the the Batman series with Christopher Nolan, of course. And Barry's score here emphasizes more militaristic overtones. It's action, but it fits the mood, and it's, it's pretty dramatic. Next film, Born Free. Now this this is significant on a couple of planes, basically because the major theme song became a major hit song, made the top 10 charts across America, and well, I suppose around the world, definitely in the UK. And this mo- movie basically describes the efforts of British conservationists uh, helping to preserve lion habitat in Africa. There was actually a sequel to this made, and Barry won Academy Awards for Best Song and Best Film Score. It's a PG-rated film. It still shows up on TV, and if you've got kids, it's actually a wonderful film to uh, to watch. Have you seen that one? You ever see that one, Eddie? I know it's a little before your time, but did you ever see that one? Uh, yeah, a little before my time. I have not. I'll I thought have to put it on the well, list. Well, it's kind of like a Disney. It's kind of like something that Disney would would have made, although it was made by the British. Bill Travers plays the the main lead. Next one, a critically acclaimed film. Lion in Winter came out in 1968. This is a film version of James Goldman's stage play, and it's illustrating the conflict between King Henry II of England. He also is king of Normandy as well. It's played by Peter O'Toole, and his wife, Eleanor of Aquitaine, is played by Catherine Hepburn. Film details squabbles between the family, and it includes discussions of which of their children will replace Henry upon his death. Film significant because Anthony Hopkins has his first major film role as Richard, who becomes, of course, Richard the Lionheart. And Timothy Dalton, again, a Bond reference, as you 
are aware, makes his debut. Now here, Barry uses choral background in a somewhat, what I would say, jarring blend of horns in key sequences. It's a track that is likely fitting, however, for a film that's based in, are you ready for this, 1183. That's before both of our times. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) The film was well-received. It won three Oscars, including Best Actress for Hepburn. And guess what? Critics liked it. Must have been the right music because Barry got an Oscar for best score. And I've watched it many, many times. If if you don't even care about history, you don't even know who Henry II or Eleanor Rakuten are, watch it because the interplay between a fairly young, younger Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn is worth it. And that's exactly why I watch it. The, the interplay between the other characters is great, but it's a terrific film. And I know I use the word, I was advised by someone that I use the word terrific. I can't help myself. I get excited. next one is a film I, as I've said before, Eddie, you know this. There's some films I I watch, some I don't watch. This one I watched, it's not exactly a favorite of mine because it's, it's a rather depressing, yet to some it's a culturally significant film for its coverage of a male prostitute and the underbelly of New York society and the two disparate and desperate characters. There's Ratso Rizzo, played by Dustin Hoffman, and John Voight plays... Joe Buck, he's the one who's the male uh, lead. The song Everybody's Talking, or Talkin', covers an earlier song, and it's used in the film, and it became a hit song as a result of the film as it was recorded by Nilsson. And it's still playing on any rock and roll station uh, that plays the 60-era music. This film won three Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Hoffman got a Best Actor Award. And Barry's score can only be described, this is my description, as an effort to provide a haunting and sorrowful background for these characters who are caught up in some pretty severe circumstances. I'll do this one because I figured this is the first one in the list that I'm actually was alive for. So I'm going to do Robin and Marion from 1976. Richard Lester's bittersweet romantic take on the Robin Hood legend. An aged Robin, played by another Bond, Sean Connery, returns from crusades to learn that Maid Marion, played by Audrey Hepburn, has become a nun. The resurrection of their earlier romance and climatic battle with the Sheriff of Nottingham played by... Oh, not him again. Robert Shaw. <laughs> We're going to have to have a show like uh, Movie Villains. Well, right? yeah, because his career, as I said, it was cut short. He died unexpectedly, and he would add a few more films in him, I'm sure. But 
yeah, he played a lot of bad guys, and he played some good guys, uh, but yeah, he, he'd fit in the villain thing. So Barry's main theme is both an uplifting and romantic undercurrent to their romance. Let's listen to it real quick. Eddie's aware of this. This is a personal favorite of mine. I have the soundtrack. I have all these soundtracks on CD, basically. Listen to them. This is one that I played over and over and over again because, again, it's got the romantic theme. I just think it's wonderful. It is a bittersweet film, and if you want to see, it's the only time Connery, and, and he's a, kind of in his prime here, and Audrey Hepburn had kind of returned to filming, that's worth all the reason to look at it. If you like another twist on the Robin Hood legend, of which there have been many, this is pretty interesting. Now... Another romantic theme. You see there's romance all through this. This is what Barry does very well. This is Somewhere in Time, 1980. And this is a, a movie theme that struck many moviegoers to such a degree that the, the theme was used in weddings. And I attended a couple of those weddings during this period, so I can attest to that. Now, this film deals with a young man's attempts to reconnect with lost love. And he travels through time to an earlier part of the 20th century to accomplish it. Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour are the lovers. And she is an actress, and her career is guided by a very disapproving Christopher Plummer. The movie is significant because it was filmed entirely on location at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island, Michigan. Now, a little side note here. Apparently, Barry wrote this score shortly after his mother's death, and it inspired the depth of feeling that is quite evident in the music. And there are some people who might say, although it's an interesting little film, some might say the music is better than the film. And if I didn't say it earlier, probably going to come up again. And anybody who watches other films that Barry's has, has scored, you might say, I didn't like the movie much, but boy, the music was pretty good. He has a tendency to probably elevate some films through his music beyond what the film deserves. That's a personal comment anyway. Now, here's one, Eddie. Uh, I think I asked you once before, have you seen this body heat? It, obviously, it's an oldie, oldie but goodie, 1981. I have not seen it. No. Well, I would suggest if you dig it out of the library, you can find it somewhere. It's It still holds up. I watched it about two years ago in here because it's a it's a murder drama. It's a mystery. And Barry returns here to his jazz, what I would call his jazz roots with his evocative score that undergirds the noirish elements of this murder drama.
Oh, is that dramatic enough for you? The use of saxophones literally resonates to the literal heat of its southern location and the steamy intrigue of the murder plot. Hey, that's pretty good writing. Stars William Hurt and a literally steamy, we made that alliteration enough, her reference enough, Kathleen Turner. She was uh, very early in her career, and Richard Crenna plays the doomed husband. Ted Danson has a turn as a friend of Mr. Hurt's. Before you go on, I checked uh, with the Wayback Machine to see what in the world undergirds were. And the definition is secure or fastened from the underside, especially by a rope or a chain underneath. So maybe I need to use a different reference to that. Is underneath, or maybe I should say underscore, but we keep using music score so much that maybe it underscores the noirish elements. Actually, I just went back to the uh, Wayback Machine again. Uh, The second definition is formal provide support or a firm basis for. So the word is correct to use in this context. Oh, so I can put we can put the red pencil away? And ladies and gentlemen, that was the Wayback Machine. Yeah, we do draw on it occasionally. Now, here's a film, another one I like. Uh, some people didn't like this film, and one of the reasons that I heard uh, from people I know, they didn't see Robert Redford playing an Englishman, but that's that's a quibble. It's a pretty good film. Out of Africa, 1985. A soaring romantic score matches the scale of the African location. The opening sequence with the plane flying over the plains. And when you listen to the music, you'll understand the sweep of the score and the sweep of the movie itself. This is Sidney Pollack's Best Picture award-winning presentation of Danish writer Karen Blixen's personal tale of her ownership of a coffee farm in Africa. If you want to go back and look at for her books, you're going to find them under her pseudonym, which is Isaac Dinenson. This film won seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It starred Meryl Streep as Karen Blixen and the things that she deals with, various tumult that occurs around the, her ownership of the coffee farm. And Robert Redford, as I said, plays Dennis Finch Hatton, her lover, uh, and the guy who owns his airplane which is fairly significant because we're talking in the period of World War I and thereafter. Barry won Best Score for this picture. Again, one of the seven Academy Awards awarded. Yeah, I like that one. That was good. That yeah, was it's, a good one. that's just listening. I mean, the, the beauty of what I say, if you don't see the film, listen to the music, you'll want to see the films they come from when you hear these kind of scores. All right, now a change of pace because most of these, as I said, the, he went to the jazz roots uh, in Body Heat in 1981. Well, in 1989, he, did this, the, he wrote the music for Jagged Ed. It's a very good crime drama. It's set in San Francisco, and Barry returns to less romantic elements, and moves again towards edgy, no pun intended here, and erotic to meet the circumstances. Film revolves around a publisher, that's Jeff Bridges, who's accused of murdering his wife. He's defended by Glenn Close. He's acquitted. And a love affair 
evolves with close. The mystery of who is the killer will evoke some aspects of a later film, Basic Instinct. You remember that one? Did you see Basic Instinct? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, and that's, that's a famous film for Sharon Stone during that film. Uh, but it starred Sharon Stone and also... Uh, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. There you go. I was going to say Kirk Douglas's kid. Because <laughs> 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 it was escaping me there for a moment. Sharon Stone, it was also said, it, that, that basic instinct was uh, also set in San Francisco. In this one, Robert Loggia plays a private detective, and he earned a supporting actor nomination, and Peter Coyote plays a key role as prosecutor. No, no awards for the, the score, but it, it fits the, the film, and I think when you listen to it, you'll see a definite difference between this kind of score and Out of Africa. Yeah, I'd say that's a, that's a little different. <laughs> well, this next one, Eddie, I know you know, and I, there's probably not many filmgoers not aware of Dances with Wolves 1990. And this film brings up the name of someone else we keep mentioning a lot recently, and that would be... Kevin Costner. Yeah. I think uh, it's been a couple of weeks in a row that we've mentioned him. Yeah, he keeps popping up, too. I mean, we've, we've said it before, great movies. Here, of course, not only did he star in it, he directed it. And Barry comes up again with a score and main theme that matches the scale of the Western Prairie. And he's able to also represent the human elements as John Dunbar transforms and comes to respect and eventually love not only the Indian culture, but an Indian woman. Again, Best Picture Award for the film, Costner Best Director. Barry won, again, for Best Score. A total of seven Oscars for the film itself. I like that one, you know, and this is an example of if, if Dances with Wolves didn't have the music, it probably would have been, it felt like it was three or four hours longer than it already was. It, if it didn't have that, you know, the, just the, the flow of the music. and Well, say this, because I said, even if you don't watch the films, listen to music. There are some film scores that you can listen to and you say, I don't know if it stands alone. This music, much, not every one, obviously. I mean, he, he has a long, long filmography, but most of his music is beautiful to listen to. It can make you feel happy, sad, whatever. He gets what music, what great music does. It reaches down and grabs you. And it serves a purpose. If you want to see something uplifting, then you go to that music. Everybody has their taste that, that suits their mood for the moment. But these stand alone. And not every film score 
can do that. That's why I have a lot of his CDs, because they're just beautiful to listen to. The next to the last, we've only got a couple others we're going to comment, because obviously we can't comment on every film he's done. This is Chaplin, 1992. This film probably isn't as good as it could have been. I have a personal criticism here, and mainly it's the direction. Richard Attenborough is the director. Not that there's he didn't do a good job of telling the story. It's just that it may not have the emotional heft without, it wouldn't have the emotional heft on the story alone without, I believe, Barry's score. But it's a good movie because it's an early star turn for Robert Downey Jr. And I think if, if Robert could have been this in this movie 10 years later with as good an actor as he is and has become and got past his early demons, it would have been even a better film. But I think you could enjoy it. If you haven't seen it, his portrayal of the iconic film persona, Charlie Chaplin, is very, very good. And Barry's main theme carries an element of the sadness that is evident. And it also seems to reflect almost the comic tragedy aspect you expect of the dramatic arts and and the life that unfolded for Chaplin, because his life is not all happy. He didn't win, but Barry was nominated for Best Score. This film was elevated, in my estimation, by the score and the acting of Robert Downey Jr. This one, I actually looked at the movie trailer, and it definitely is one that I want to want to watch. It's really interesting. Yeah, Downey, a, a little aside here, a little bit off subject, but we're talking movies, and Downey and Eddie and I, off mic, had, had had an earlier conversation about Robert Downey Jr. He has obviously hit the, the mother load, what, as Iron Man, right? Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. He, he, his deals now, well, he's no longer active in the Marvel Universe. His deals... Uh, huge back-end yeah. compensations. But it's taken him away from dramatic acting situation where he's dealing with a character other than... What's more dramatic than, I'm Iron Man? Yeah, well, well that's dramatic. I, I know, I know. This is... I'm, I'm reflecting a little bias here, folks. But we saw in The Judge, he was back in kind of the, the, what we would call a everyday type of situation. The Judge with Robert Duvall, I thought was an underestimated film. I thought he was terrific. And I'd like to see him get back to more of those type of roles because... I think he's an excellent actor. And now that he's his life is much better than it was, you know, 25 years ago or 30 years ago. Now, the final film we're going to talk about in the final score, this is probably, in my estimation, of the films we're talking about, one where Barry elevates the film. If Before you go on, I just... Yeah, go ahead. I was looking at the Wayback Machine, looking at what films are coming up for Robert Downey Jr. In 2021, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, so. another, that's another iteration of that. And then the only other one kind of goes against what you hoped. The Voyage of Dr. Doodle Well, yeah. Okay, <laughs> what can I say? He's making money. He's acting. He's doing it. Hey, if it suits him and he's happy, that's fine. What am I to quibble? But I mean, I, you go from Iron Man to a doctor talking to animals. So. Yeah, there's a movie I can't think of. Sometime we'll, I'll, I'll bring it up again with Michael Douglas, where an eclectic film with Francis Dorman. The last film here is called Indecent Proposal, 1993. Here's a film directed by Adrian Lin, where from my perspective, this score elevates a film whose story to many viewers might be repugnant. <laughs> 
And I included this only because I think it deserves listening to and appreciating as a standalone example of Barry's music composition. In this film, if you're not familiar with it, Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson are a married couple, young married couple, down on their luck in Las Vegas. They've literally taken the mortgage money, maybe in a financial situation, used the mortgage money to try to increase it and they lose everything. So now they're deciding how they get out of this mess and they are challenged to decide whether or not the solution to their problems is an offer made by a wealthy Robert Redford, who, as you can tell, is probably a little sleazy in this one. Redford offers a million dollars to sleep with Demi. So the angst of making that decision is the core of the film. As I said to many viewers, this might not be the ideal movie situation. But if you want to listen to some great music, Barry has a very good score here. No awards, just good music. So that's the last of the films we're going to comment on. Um, real quick, I went to the Wayback Machine to see what the definition of repugnant was for those out there who did not know. The definition is extremely distasteful, unacceptable. Well, I think that's a correct usage in terms of this film. It's not a bad film, but it's just that uh, he elevates it. Now, one last note, no more films, but I am saying that we didn't include this for listening, but Barry was also nominated one more time for Best Score, and that was for the 1972 Oscar for the movie Mary, Queen of Scots. So that's that's all we have to say on Mr. Barry. I'm glad we had the opportunity to do this, and we encourage you, I particularly encourage you, if you're not familiar with him, he's written some great, great music. Well, there is one more John Barry film that needs to be mentioned. Um, ironically, I did not see it in any of my research until the very end. Not sure why he's hiding this, but, you know, maybe he's not hiding it, but you'll, you'll see in a minute. I'm going to actually play it for you. Nineteen eighty five, Howard the Duck. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Directed by Willard <laughs> Hewick, stars Leah Thompson, Jeffrey Jones, Tim Robbins. The voice of Howard the Duck is Chip Zane. Just so I have it in at least this podcast once, this movie cost thirty five million to make. Grossed uh, US sixteen million, total gross twenty one and a half million. It was considered a flop, um, but Barry did the score. Well, Eddie, I think that just about blows away everything I just said about one elevating a movie and the standalone listening enjoyment that you can get from a Barry score. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was buried. Uh, look, I, 
Maybe you couldn't find it. He was so embarrassed he didn't want anything to do with it. Maybe we should check. Maybe he didn't really write that little part there. I don't know. Has his name on it. Oh, well, folks, I guess that's one in on him, but I didn't see that one coming. You got me there, Eddie. Hard to put one past you, Johnny. Got to take the chance. What's the clock on the wall telling us, Eddie? Well, Johnny, looks like it's that time again, but before I turn it over to you, as always, we thank you for listening and subscribing to our show. We have a lot of great shows coming up next week. We're talking strong woman characters, including Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, and as we said last week, Peppermint. Peppermint is an awesome movie, and we'll talk a little about that. And also some other ones. These are all more recent uh, women characters, but we'll dig into some of the ones from the past as well. Oh, yeah. we got, we got to bring those up because some of the older listeners out there, there are a lot of strong women characters when you really start looking at the film. So we'll, we'll cover the, try to cover the waterfront. Also, in two weeks, we're almost there, friends. In honor of the 40th anniversary of the original Muppet movie, we're talking the world of Jim Henson. On that episode, we will have a special guest who is a huge Muppets fan, and they also have a special announcement for us. Stay tuned. Please tell your family and friends. Anyone can listen for free on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio. New episodes will drop every Monday. Visit Johnny's blog on our website, we'retalkingmovies.com. There you'll find an additional commentary, show notes, and references that were mentioned in the show. Johnny, I believe so far we have four episodes uh, blogged so far. Yeah, it's my personal commitment. I'm going to say this on air here, and uh, hopefully I can hold to it. I'll have you up to date at least through episode six by the middle or middle of next week, this week. Okay, you want to take a bet out on that one? or uh, No bet, right? no bet, no, no. <laughs> the easiest way to subscribe to our podcast is to visit our website, we'retalkingmovies.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page and clicking either the Apple Podcast button, the Google Podcast button, or the new iHeartRadio button. Yay! The podcast is also available on all of your favorite platforms, except Pandora. If you have a show idea or just want to say, Shazam! Don't get that confused with Shazam from Gomer Pyle. Send a comment through our website, DM us on Instagram, or tweet us on We Talkin' Movies. We would love for you to visit the page and like us. That's it for me, Johnny. This means I might have to actually watch the movie Shazam. I keep hearing about it over and over again. What? You haven't seen it yet? Uh, oh, my no. God. No. That's it. <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, looks like that's all for today, folks. Until next time, keep your eyes on the silver screen. And as we fade to black, this is Johnny Popcorn and Eddie Klieg saying so long till we're talking again. Please clear the set.